The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. We're in a series right now called Bridges. And uh, I was going to end this series today, but last night I was praying and God gave me another message. So we're going to go next week with one more message that's actually going to be, it's going to help feed the message that I'm talking about today. It's kind of today and next week are kind of a two-part message that we're going to do. And so today uh, we're talking about relationships and the relationships of our life. And we've been talking about how we can be bridges in the relationships of our life. If you're here last week, uh, my wife Sarah taught an incredible message If you missed that message, go back and listen to the podcast. I I truly believe it's one of the most powerful messages that's ever been delivered here at New Song Church. I believe it is a a prophetic message for where God wants to take our church. It's a message that I have been wrestling and and going over and thinking about ever since I heard it. It, It's incredible. Make sure you listen to that message. You listen to the other messages in this series. But today I'm going to talk to you about a subject that's kind of interesting. And as I was thinking about this, I don't know that I've really heard a lot of people talk about this before. But it's this idea of, of when to burn a bridge. Or in relationships, when a relationship needs to end. And how we, how we deal with that. Now, I have a question for you this morning. How many of you believe that God has a plan for your life? If you believe that, lift up your hand, raise up your hand, shake it at me, let me see your hand. Okay. We believe God has a plan for our life. Now, if we believe that, and Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that, that he has plans for us, plans to bless us, prosper us, uh, to do good things in our life. He, he says that about us. Do you believe that God has a plan for your relationships? If you do, wave your hand at me. Absolutely, because we've been talking about it. Relationships are an important part of our life. So if God has plans for our life, he probably has plans for our relationship. Now, if that is true, is it possible that we could maybe have some relationships in our life that aren't going according to God's plan? Maybe some relationships in our life that God never planned for us to have. And what do we do? (laughs) How do we deal with that? I, I think this. I think that sometimes as Christians, we can find ourselves in kind of vulnerable, position, vulnerable, vulnerable positions relationally because we are in this attempt to be what we consider to be Christ-like to people around us. We're trying to be Jesus because we're Christians, right? We're supposed to be Christ-like. And we have this idea of what it means to be Christ-like, and sometimes it's a false idea. And it leads us to trouble in our relationships. I, I want to kind of talk about this with you today as we kind of start off the message. There, there's, there's something, you've probably heard this before. You've probably heard somebody say that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Anybody ever heard that before? That's a true statement. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And, and we find that statement in scripture in two different places. It actually was just said one time, but it's found in two different gospels. And in both of these occasions, when, when someone called Jesus a friend of, of, of sinners, it was actually meant to be a put down. It was actually by the Pharisees, and they were saying this in a way of saying, like, this is a terrible thing that he's doing. In fact, look at this with me. Here's one of the occasions, Matthew 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus, they're talking about here. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. So, like, there's this progression. Tax collectors were, like, the worst of the worst people. So, it's like they're saying, he's a glutton. He's a, you know, be like us saying, man, that guy's a terrible person. He's, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He, he's friends with the worst people on earth. He's even an Oklahoma State fan. Like, this guy's messed up. But you get what I'm saying. 
So, so they were saying this is kind of to be a cut down, but, but it is true. Jesus was, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but, but we don't, sometimes I think we get that and we don't quite understand what it means. When it says friend there, that word friend was actually the Greek word that meant he associated with, was friendly towards, was wishing well. Uh, as I was thinking about this this week, God kind of put this in front of me. It's the idea of being environmentally friendly, right? We would, we would say that someone who's environmentally friendly, what are they? They're a person who, who they do things that are positive for the environment. And that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus was, he was about helping sinners. He wanted to do things. That's why Jesus came to this earth, to die on the cross for sinners. Me and you were sinners. We were, we were bound by sin. And Jesus came, died on the cross so that we could be set free, so that we could step out from, from the, being slaves to sin and walk in the freedom that comes from being connected to Jesus Christ and having a relationship with him and having all of our sins washed away. That's why Jesus came. But what we see in the life of Jesus is he had these, these encounters with sinners but if you really look and study the life of Jesus, what you find is the people that he associated with the most were his disciples. And what were his disciples? They were people that were on an upward growth track. They were people that were willing to listen and willing to grow and willing to develop and wanted to change and wanted to become something and become who God wanted them to become. What we don't see in the life of Jesus is that he was just supporting sinners and saying that you know, what they were doing was okay. He was a friend of sinners. He was helping them to step out from sin. I know a guy in the city uh, that I would call him a friend of sinners. His name is Lance Lang. And Lance Lang has a ministry called Hope is Alive that we support here at New Song Church. And I love what this guy does because he helps people that are they're struggling with drug addiction. And he, he helps these people. He brings them in. He has houses all over the city that he brings them into. And he helps them to get, to get you know, free from drugs. But th- not only that, he helps them to get on their feet and get, get going in the right direction. He helps them to develop resumes and get a vision for their life so that they get out from, from this cycle of drug addiction. He is a friend to sinners. Now, that doesn't mean he enables them, right? He's not, help, he's not buying them drugs. He's actually a friend of them because he's helping them to get out from the sin of drug addiction and the problem of drug addiction. In the same way, listen, Jesus was a friend of sinners and that he wanted to help people that were struggling with sin. And he spoke the truth in love. He called their garbage, garbage. He said, go and sin no more. He wanted to help sinners. He was a friend of sinners. But listen, he was not a doormat. We don't see that in the life of Jesus. You say, well, Josh, what about, what about that verse though? The Bible says, You know, Jesus said that we're to turn the other cheek. You guys ever heard that verse before? And some people will take that verse and say, well, that's just, you know, we're supposed to just be willing to put up with junk. Like people are going to be abusive to us and we just got to turn the other cheek. But, But people have misinterpreted and misunderstood that verse for years. Now, I need a helper this morning, okay? Somebody who would be willing to slap me in the face. Anybody willing to? Way too many hands are going up. All right, Josh Romano, I'm going to have you help me. And here's why. Because I've picked on you. Yeah. He's warming it up. <laughs> okay. Um, I need someone else to get slapped. No. Okay, so, so here's what Jesus says. In fact, can you guys put that verse up here for us? You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, uh, what someone does to you, you just do back to them. And he says this, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Now, when he says that, really what that means is don't do to others what they're doing to you. He's not saying don't, like, he's saying don't do the same way they're doing it back to you. But he says, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, now notice that, the right cheek, 
turn the other also. Okay, so you got to understand this about Jesus. The culture he lived in, in, in Hebrew tradition, uh, the right hand, he lived in a right-handed society. The left hand was actually considered to be unclean. The left hand was used for unclean tasks like going to the bathroom, things like that. So you, you weren't supposed to ever touch anyone with your left hand. That was a no-no, okay? So in a right-handed society, in order to strike somebody on the right cheek, think about this, okay? If you're going to strike me with your right hand on the right cheek, what are you going to have to do? Well, you have to backhand slap somebody. Now think about that. A backhand slap is not really like a physical, like you're trying to kill somebody or knock somebody out. It's really more of an insult. And it was a way that people would insult and kind of put their slaves and the people that were beneath them in their place. That's what they would do. They would backhand slap this. So Jesus says, turn the other cheek also. Okay, so if you slap backhand slap me, don't do it. Okay, you do that. Now put your hand down. And I do like this to you. Yeah. Now what does that cause you to do? How are you going to slap me? This way. Right, which is unclean. That task now means if I try to slap you with my left hand, I'm saying this is an unclean act. So what's another way that you can hit me with your right hand? you got to punch me, right? Which says that we're on the same level. Here, here's what I want you to see. We, look at, we hear this verse and we think that Jesus is saying, just put up with it. But really what he was saying is stand in defiance to that kind of action. What they were doing is somebody slaps you on that cheek as you're going, no, you're not going to treat me like that. That's not okay. I don't receive that. I don't accept that. Thank you, Josh Romano. You can sit down. Give me a hand, guys. So Jesus is saying his instruction to turn the other cheek was not an act of compliance. It was an act of defiance. It was saying that's not okay. And yet we've interpreted that for years to just let people beat you up and abuse you. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. What you see in the life of Jesus is he did not allow people to run over him. Sure, he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, but he willingly laid down his life that way. And in living his life, he did not get run over. In fact, there's a story in the Bible where his, uh, his mother and brothers come to see him one day. This is Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking, the crowd, his mother and brothers, look at this, they came to see him. They stood outside wanting to speak to him. So what this, we don't exactly know if he was inside a building, if he was outside a building, but his, his mother and brothers come and they don't, they don't embrace and become a part of the crowd there. They stand outside. This was an act of defiance to Jesus by his family. They're standing outside and they're saying, Jesus, you come to us on our terms. And what they're saying is, we don't agree with something going on. And, and scholars don't really know exactly what it was. They, they argue about maybe it was that he hadn't received some of his brothers as his disciples. It may have been that the religious leaders of the day were putting, putting weight on them and making them feel bad about it. We, we don't exactly know what was going on, but what we do know is they are defying Jesus and they're saying that they don't agree with something going on. So it says in verse 47, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Now look how Jesus responds. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And listen, he never goes out to see them. He never goes out and says, he doesn't hear this and run out to them and go, guys, What's going on? So, something bothering you? Did I mess up? Are you, what, what can I do? You got it all wrong. Let me, let me fix this. Let me, no, he doesn't do that. 
Jesus knows where he stands with his father. He knows the race that he's called to run. And he doesn't let unhealthy relationships keep him from the race and the pace that God's called him to. He says no. He stands up. And listen, this idea that being a Christian and being Christ-like means you have to let people run over you is wrong. That's not the life Jesus has called you to. You don't have to put up with abuse. You don't have to put up with junk. You can stand up. God's not calling you to that. If people are treating you the wrong way, you don't have to stand for that. Now, I was thinking about this this week, how God uses relationships in our life. And I think some of the greatest gifts that I've received from the Lord are relationships that God's placed in my life. Like I think about my wife, Sarah. My, she's my best friend. And she's an incredible wife, incredible mother. And I, I mean, I, I, not to get all gooey, and, but, but she's just amazing. And I, I, she speaks the truth to me. She's been such a great gift to me. And God gave her to me. She, I, I prayed that girl into my life as a teenager. As a teenager, if you're in here, pray for your spouse. Even if you don't know them, you don't need to know them. You just pray in faith. And God will give you the desires of your heart that you don't even know you have. But, but she's a relationship that God gave to me. She's a gift from the Lord. Uh, I think of my parents, the, the home I was born into. I was given incredible parents that have stood by me in good times, bad times, whatever. They've been faithful to me. I, I think of some of the relationships I have with pastors that I'm able to have connections with and people in this church and they're some of the greatest gifts in my life. In the same way though, on the flip side, when the devil wants to do damage to your life, one of the things he'll do is he'll put relationships in your life that are the wrong kind of relationships that will trip you up, that will keep you from what God has for you. In your notes, this is in your notes this morning, relationships are either liabilities or assets. The relationships of your life are either going to be liabilities or assets. Liabilities, here's what that means. It means they're taking from you. Assets means they're adding to you. And some of you may have some relationships in your life and they are sucking the life out of you. They're hurting you. They're doing damage to you. They're taking from you. God wants you to have relationships that are building you up, that are helping you to move forward. And, and sometimes we settle for so, so far less. Right? We have these people in our life and maybe we've known them since junior high. And so we kind of put up with some of the junk. Because, man, I've known him for so long, I can't turn my back on that guy. I know, yeah, I know when I'm around him, I, I'm the worst version of myself. And I, don't, I always walk away going, why did I do that? Or what? But, but, you know, we've been friends for a long time. If I had a glass of water up here today, let's say I had a big glass of water. And I told you, you're real thirsty. And I came to you and I said, hey, this is 99% pure and 1% manure. <laughs> How many of you would want to drink that glass? Why? I mean, it's 99% pure. It's only 1% poop. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Don't you want that? You're thirsty. Don't you want? Why? Because we understand something. 1% is bad enough, right? And yet sometimes we allow people into our life. We walk in relationship with people and, and we, we put up with stuff and we, we let them into areas of our life. And what they're bringing to us is nastiness and impurity and things that are hurting us and keeping us from what God has for us. This is in your notes too. Some of the problems you face are a result of the people you embrace. Some of the problems you're dealing with right now are a result of the people that you've allowed in. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I had a friend in junior high that was a really fun guy, really funny guy. He had a fun house to go to. Uh, I used to love hanging out with this guy. We played basketball together. Uh, but there was a problem that started surfacing and that this guy was a liar. And he was like, he lied all the time about 
crazy stuff. Like I found out at one point he told people that my dad was his dad. I know. And, and it was funny because I heard this and I just remember thinking, what's that all about? But I just kind of moved on past it. He t- I remember hearing that he had told people that he was the starting quarterback for his football team. He didn't even play football. It was, just, it was just little lies all the time that this guy was always doing. And I kind of allowed, and I knew about it, but I just kind of allowed it. And I remember there was one day he called me up and he, was, he had done something really stupid and he wanted me to cover for him. And so he was like, hey, I need you to, to lie for me, basically. And in that moment, like, I, I was like, okay. And so I just, I decided to, I told a lie and I covered for my friend. And I felt so bad that I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't go on that way. So I, I ended up going and I think my parents know and, and it cost me my job. The job was, was at a church. And so it cost me some, some relationship I had at that church and some things. And, and, and it hurt me. Why? Because bad company corrupts good character. Being around him affected me. Bible says this in Proverbs 7, 27, 17. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, I want to illustrate this to you. Uh, Miss Afton, if you would mind bringing me my little illustration this morning. I got a little illustration to help me kind of explain this to you today. This is an axe, right? And this axe, the head of this axe is made out of iron. Okay, so we've all heard this verse before. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. But let's reverse engineer the verse for just a moment. Uh, think about this. If iron sharpens iron, then what doesn't sharpen iron? Everything else. Like wood. Like you know, if you take this axe out and you start chopping on a tree, that over time, this axe is going to get dull. Right? And what's going to happen to the tree? The tree's going to get damaged. And what you don't realize is sometimes in these relationships you have with people who aren't of the same kind as you, that you're continuing to have relationship with them, like this axe has relationship with that tree. Over time, here's what happens. The, the iron, you, if that's you, you get, damaged, you get dull and they get damaged. It's not helping anybody. You think it is, but it's not. We've got to guard ourselves in these relationships. Got to be careful what we allow into our life. All right, so... You need to guard yourself against the wrong kind of relationships. Okay, so Genesis chapter 15, we're finally getting there. In Genesis chapter 15, we have the story of Abraham. I think it's interesting, me and David didn't talk about this before, but I'm talking about Abraham today. And Abraham is the father of our faith. And he was an incredible patriarch of of faith and of the Bible. He's the father of the Hebrew nation. And yet he didn't do everything perfect. And how many know that's good news for us? Because we don't do everything perfect. We make mistakes. And most of the time, if you really study Bible characters, you're going to find that all of them had some flaws. And Abraham had some flaws, specifically relational flaws that he walked in. And so we're going to look at some of these things that he did, some of these flaws that he had, so we can better learn how to, uh, how to step out of relationships that we shouldn't be in, and even how to guard ourselves from getting into relationships we shouldn't be in, and, and how to walk this out. Okay, now, real quick disclaimer before I get into this. Uh, if you're married today, <laughs> I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking to you, okay? Like when I, I the, you, you get to listen to this message under the context of covenant, which means you don't get to walk away. You don't get to end it. There, there are some excuses for when it is okay to, to walk away or to separate and things like that. But, but this is not for you. This is not like, hey, we're not getting along. We're going to end this thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, you get to work this out in the covenant of a relationship. And let me just say this too. If you are married and you're struggling in your marriage, uh, let us know. We'd love to help you. We have some incredible counselors here at New Song Church that we'd love to connect you with to help you. And it's okay to get counseling. 
Some of you, sometimes you think, oh, if I, if I uh, go to counseling, it means I'm admitting something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong, right? Okay. You know, if you're, if you're sick, you go to a doctor because they can help you prescribe what's going on. In the same way, if you're struggling in your marriage, let's go to a counselor. Sometimes you need a, another person to kind of step in and say, hey, here's the problem I see to help you out. That's okay. We're not going to think any less of you. We'll think more of you, actually. And you'll get the help that you need. So if that's you, don't, don't continue to deal with that. Get the counseling that you need, all right? All right, so Genesis chapter 15. Uh, let me set this up for you. Uh, David kind of set it up actually earlier. But Abraham, God gives him this promise. And he says, I'm going to give you a, a nation. But the problem is you can't have a nation without one. And Abraham's 86 years old. Sarah, his wife, is 76 years old. And they have no children. And their, their bodies are dead, the Bible tells us that they looked at the deadness of their bodies. They, uh, Sarah had gone through menopause. She couldn't have children. It's over. And they're looking at this and they're going, wow, this, this is, the only way this can happen is if God shows up and does a miracle. But Abraham believes God. In fact, in Genesis 15, verse 6, he, he believes that what God says. It says, and Abram. Now, let me just say something real quick if you're new to church. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are called Abram and Sarai. That was their original names. God changed their names about halfway through the story. So you'll maybe hear me go back and forth with these names a little bit. I'm going to try to call them Abraham and Sarah for the most part. But as I read it, it'll be Abram and Sarah. But it says this, and Abram believed God. He believed what? He believed the promise God said that you're going to have a nation. Then God considered him righteous on account of his faith. So that's Genesis 15. The next chapter over, we find that everything starts to fall apart. And there's like, there's not even like, it's Genesis 15 and then 16, 17, 18. And like in 20, it starts to get met. No, no, Genesis 15, halfway through. And then Genesis 16, trouble ensues, right? Okay, so I've got three points for you today. Three things that you can look at that will help you maybe understand if, if a relationship maybe needs to end, if it's something that needs to end. Here's the first one uh, that you can see. How do you know if a relationship needs to end when you started it and God didn't? When you started it and God didn't. Look at this, Genesis 16, verse 1. But Sarai and Abram had no children. So Sarai took her maid, an Egyptian girl named Hagar, and gave her to Abram to be his second wife. Since the Lord has given me no children, Sarai said, you may sleep with my servant girl and her children shall be mine. And Abram agreed. Bad idea, Abram. Uh, verse 4, so he slept with Hagar and she conceived. Okay, so in Genesis 15, God gives him a promise. He believes it in faith. In Genesis 16, it hadn't happened yet. And so what do they do? They begin to start trying to help God along a little bit. And this is a major problem in relationships, right? God comes to us and he makes you a promise. Somebody he's going to put in your life. Something he's going to do in your life. And then when it doesn't happen right away, what do we do? We start going, God, you said... Like you said it was going to happen. You said, you, were gonna, you said I was going to be married. Why am I not married? Okay, I guess since you're not moving, you're not doing anything, I guess I'll help you along a little bit. Yeah, Abraham was never supposed to have a relationship with Hagar. That was not God's plan for him. But, but here's what he did. He wanted to become the provider. Him and Sarah wanted to become the provider. And so they stepped outside of God's plan to try to manufacture the promise. Listen, one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. Which means he is my provider. God doesn't need you to be the provider. He doesn't need that. In fact, I said it like this. God doesn't need you to be the provider. God needs you to be obedient. He just needs you to obey and do what he's telling you to do. But you don't have to provide. God is, is the provider. But because Abraham and, and Sarah were impatient, 
and they weren't willing to wait on the Lord. Listen, waiting on the Lord is where you find strength. That's a place where God begins to build in the strength for you that you need to fulfill the promise that he has for you. But they weren't willing to wait. And so they stepped outside of God's plan. And my question for you is, are there some relationships in your life that you've developed because you've been impatient? And you've tried to manufacture or provide something for yourself that maybe God has promised you, but you're trying to make it happen instead of God. Because when you do this, here's what happens. You step into some stuff. And what we see in the life of Abraham and Sarah is for the next five chapters, they're dealing with this, this illegitimate relationship that they've created. They're dealing with, it, it slows down the promise from being fulfilled. And then it just continues to kind of hang and, and, and be there. Because here's what happens. When we're not patient, when we're not willing to wait, in that moment is when the enemy can come to us and he can introduce counterfeits. And counterfeits can come in and we step into these counterfeit relationships and now we have to deal with the consequences of counterfeit relationships. Uh, me and Sarah were talking yesterday about people we know and we've seen this happen in their life. They, they, they believe a lie and they embrace some counterfeit relationships and it sets them back 10, 15, 20 years. They're dealing with these things because they weren't willing to be patient and wait on the promise and trust in the goodness of God. We've got to embrace what God's saying. When you started it and God didn't, it could be a problem. And it may be a relationship you need to consider ending. This is in your notes. Illegitimate relationships produce illegitimate offspring. I'm not talking about literal offspring. I'm talking about it produces things in your life. Things are birthed in your life that can hurt you. Pains and hurts and freedom issues and things that, that you struggle with for years and years and years because you, you embraced a counterfeit and you embraced something that was illegitimate. So what do we do? How do we fix this? Well, here's what we do. We, we go to God with our relationships. Before we step into a relationship, before we step into an opportunity, we go to God and we say, God, is this something you're calling me to do? Uh, God, I, I'm not going to move on this unless you permit it. I'm not going to step into something that you're, you're, not, you're not permitting. I'm not going to pursue something that you don't permit. I'm going to wait on you, Lord. And, and I'm going to follow peace. You know, that's one of the major ways that God leads us. He leads us with peace. If you look at a relationship of your life and it's producing something that's not peace, there's probably something wrong there. If, if you're thinking about stepping into something but you just don't have a peace about it, there's probably God maybe warning you. And, and I've been guilty of this and I'm sure you have too. We, we see some of these warnings but we just kind of go, well, you know what, I'm going to step into it anyways and I'm going to go for it. And then we step into it and we're like, okay, God, now I want you to bless it. It doesn't work that way, guys. If you want God to bless it, you have to invite God into it from the beginning. And maybe you're struggling in a relationship because, because you've tried to create something on your own that God wanted nothing to do with. I, I see this beyond relationships. I also see this with just people in occupations and business opportunities. You know, a promotion comes up. And, and people just run after that promotion. And it may mean that it's going to pull them away from their church. It's going to pull them away from relationships. It's going to pull them away from their family. It's going to pull them away from things. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just saying if God's not telling you to do that, you really need to weigh that stuff carefully. Jesus said this, he says, what does it benefit a person, a prophet, a man to gain the world but lose his soul? Invite Jesus into your life. Invite him into the plans of your life. I'm telling you, your life will be so much better if he's leading the way. The, the promises he's put in your life, realize those promises that you seek, that you desire, he's the one that gave them to you. He's the one that put those desires in your heart. He's the one that came to Abraham and Sarah and said, I'm going to give you a child. And then they get impatient. 
God's put that stuff in your heart. Don't get, don't get impatient. Wait on the Lord. Wait patiently. There's strength in that. And, and God will fulfill what he said he would do. Okay, here's, here's the second thing. Let's look at Genesis 16, verse 4, the next verse. It says, when she realized she was pregnant, this is Hagar, she became very proud and arrogant toward her mistress, Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, I love this, it's your fault. If you remember, remember whose idea this was? Anybody? Anybody? It was hers. Yeah. But now all of a sudden it's Abram's fault, right? And she says, for now this servant girl of mine despises me, though I myself gave her the privilege of being your wife. I haven't, I haven't done nothing wrong. Everything I've done is great. It's your fault. And it's her fault, right? And she says this, may the Lord judge you for doing this to me. What do we see here? Here, Here's the second point. How do we know when a relationship is supposed to end? When no one wants to deal with the real issue. Abraham and Sarah don't want to deal with the real issue here. In fact, a few verses later, Abraham just kind of puts this off on her. It's it's your problem. You deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. And you know, relationships, you're going to have problems. Like you're going to have stuff that comes up and and issues that you have to face and deal with from time to time. But, But when you're in wrong relationships, there's these unaddressed issues that just kind of continue to just kind of sit beneath the surface and no one ever deals with them. And they just kind of fester down there like a cancer. And, and, and everybody knows, like everybody knows, we sp- especially see this in families, right? Your family, like there's that person, it's like, oh my gosh, how did they not know? Like, this is the issue. Like, how do they not see that? But no one will speak to it. No one will talk about it. It's just kind of like, yeah, we smile, we put on a good face, but there's a problem that no one wants to deal with. And the problem is in relationships, when you avoid the real issue, you ensure the relationship's death. Colossians 3 verse 9 says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices. This this hit me this week. Like, I don't think we realize sometimes when we just kind of put up with stuff like this, we're lying because we're not telling the truth. Now, I'm not saying you need to like blow people up and just be mean and like, hey, you're, you're the worst person ever. I'm not saying that. We speak the truth in love. We go to people and we say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just seeing this pattern. I think this is the problem. And I, and I know it's not easy. I know sometimes that's hard. And I know sometimes there's people in your life and you're like, yeah, you don't know. They're not going to receive that. Well, okay, they may not. But you're going to speak the truth in love, right? You're going to at least offer the truth to them so that God can do what God wants to do. And maybe in those relationships, if you don't feel like you can do that, is it even worth having that relationship? If you can't walk in truth with someone else, is that a good relationship for you to have, to be walking in? When no one wants to deal with the real issue. Look at what Abraham says, verse 6. He says, you, may, you have permission to punish this girl as you see fit, Abram replied. So Sarai beat her and she, Hagar, ran away. So Hagar gets beaten and she runs off. She actually has this encounter with God and God says, hey, you need to go back. You need to act different. And so she returns and she comes back home, which is, leads us to another point. When we don't deal with stuff properly, the drama just keeps on coming back, doesn't it? Drama just keeps coming back. If you don't deal with it, you're going to have to deal with it or you're going to keep dealing with it, right? Verse 20, or Genesis 21, let's go over there. This is 14 years after uh, God gave the promise to Abraham and Sarah. So now Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And, uh, and, and God fulfills the promise. And their son, the son of promise, is born. Isaac is born. It says this in verse 1. Then God did as he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and gave Abram a baby son in his old age at the time God had said, Isaac is born. Is born. 
and everything is beautiful for seven verses. (laughs) And then what happens? The illegitimate relationship pops back up. Verse eight, time went by and the child Isaac grew and was weaned and Abraham gave a party to celebrate this happy occasion. But when Sarah noticed Ishmael, the son of Abraham and the Egyptian girl Hagar teasing Isaac. So, so Sarah sees the illegitimate product of Abraham and Hagar teasing the promise of Sarah and Abraham. When she sees that, look at what she does. She acts like a mama is what she does. She turned upon Abraham and demanded, get rid of the slave girl and her son. He is not going to share your property with my son. I won't have it. Here's point number three. How do you know when a a relationship is supposed to end? When what the relationship produces is picking on your promise. That's good. I should have got more ums out of that one. God has promises for you. And there are things and people that we allow in our life and they're keeping us from the promises of God. They're picking on the promises of God. Let, let, me, let me explain this, okay? Let's say uh, you have a relationship with someone and it's producing um, lust in your life. And that lust is bullying the promise of purity that God wants you to walk in. That's a relationship that maybe needs to end. You have a, a business relationship with someone And that relationship is producing greed in your heart. That greed is now bullying the generosity that God has promised you to walk in. That's a relationship that needs to end. You have a relationship with someone who is abusing you. Physically, sexually, mentally, whatever that may be. That abuse is bullying your faith. And causing fear. And faith is a promise God wants you to walk in. Maybe it's time for you to end that relationship. There are things, there are people in our life we allow in our life and they are hurting us. They're keeping us from the promises of God. They're stopping us from what God really has for us. And we need to get like Sarah. We need to get indignant about this. We need to rise up and say, you know what? That's enough. God has more for me and I'm not going to allow you to pick on the promises of God and keep me from what God has called me to do. You need to realize they are stopping you and hurting you from what God wants to do to you and through you to help a dying world around you. And you've got to get indignant about this and say enough is enough. It's going to end. It has to end. And listen, I know that's not easy. I know it's hard. In fact, we see in the next verse, Abraham struggling with this. Look at what it says in Genesis 21, 11. This upset Abraham very much. For after all, Ishmael was his son too. Here's the problem. We connect even if it's illegitimate. We connect with things. This is why it's so important that we guard ourselves. Young people and your teenagers, guard yourself. Guard your relationships. There are things that you could step into that will hurt you, that you'll get attached to, and it'll be hard for you to step away from those things. You need to guard your relationships, every one of you. Have you ever seen the movie Castaway? Anybody seen that movie before? Okay, so in that movie, Tom Hanks, you know, his plane crashes, and he lands on this island, right? And he's all alone. And in fact, this was the first movie me and Sarah ever saw, date night together. Boom. What about, yeah, isn't that cute? In fact, February 22nd this week was our 15 years ago, I proposed I got down on one knee and said yeah and she said yes praise you Jesus okay so in this movie he he's stranded on this island and there's no one there so he develops a relationship with a volleyball named Wilson 
And there's this scene at the end of the movie where he's escaping from the island. He's on this raft. And Wilson kind of gets detached from, from the raft he's on. And he's asleep. He doesn't realize this. And he wakes up and he sees Wilson is like floating away. And so he jumps into the water and he's trying to get to Wilson. But he has this moment where he realizes uh, he's risking his life and he could die. And so he returns back to his raft and there's this shot, this overhead shot of him lying on the raft like in the fetal position, just crying and saying, Wilson, and you're watching it. And it's like this incredibly powerful scene. And yet at the same time, it's so ironic because you're like, it's a volleyball. <laughs> but, the, but the truth is this. Here's what God showed me this week. Strong attachments can form with anything, especially when you're desperate. I will say it again. Strong attachments can form with anything, especially when you're desperate. But listen, here's the truth. And everybody's going to be better off if you let it go. You're going to be better off. They're going to be better off. In fact, look at what God says to Abraham in the next verse. He says this in verse 12. Don't be upset over the boy or your slave girl wife. Do as Sarah says. For Isaac is the son through whom the promise will be fulfilled. In other words, Isaac is the promise. But look at what he says next. This is incredible. And I will make a nation of the descendants of the slave girl's son too, because he is also yours. Here's what God says. Even though that's been illegitimate, even though that's wrong, I'm going to take care of them if you trust me. And, and I felt like God showed me this this week. Some of you have been holding on to some relationships and you're trying to play God. You feel like your role is to be God to some of these people. I want to help you this morning, okay? You ready? Lean in. You ain't God. Turn to the person beside you and say, you ain't God. You're a bad God. God hasn't called you to be the Savior. He may have called you to be a helper. But he hasn't called you to be the Savior. And sometimes helping means you've got to be willing to let people go and trust God. And trust them into God's hands to do what God can do for them. And what we see in the life of Hagar is when she's released... God's able to do something. Now, I want to show you the next verse. We see four things that Abraham did that I think we can learn. If you find yourself in one of those positions today where you're looking and you say, I may have a relationship that I need to cut off. Here's, here's a good way to end it, okay? Look at this verse. Genesis 21, verse 14. And I'll go ahead and invite the band to come up at this time. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food for the journey, and strapped a canteen of water onto Hagar's shoulders and sent her away with their son. She walked out into the wilderness of Beersheba, wandering Amosly, four things that we can learn from how Abraham ended it. Number one, he ended it quickly. Write that down. He ended it quickly. We have a saying in our home, slow obedience is no obedience. Abraham moved quickly. Why? Because he's seen the faithfulness of God. He's seen that when God makes a promise, he's faithful to fulfill it. God said, I'm going to take care of them. So he can now trust in that promise and release them into God's hands, knowing that God's going to take care of Ishmael. He's going to take care of Hagar. If God's telling you to end a relationship, you probably need to end it, move on quickly. But, but look at what he, what he does next. He prepared food for the journey and strapped a canteen of water onto Hagar's shoulders. Second thing we see that Abraham did, he ended it with blessing. I'm not telling you to just go up to people and say, you know what, I'm done with you. You're the worst. That's not, that's not being Christ-like. To, to end it, with a, with a good heart and to end it with peace. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, underline, underline that, highlight that, put that in your notes. If it is possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, 
I know it's not always going to be possible. There's going to be some people that you just got to blow it up and you got to go, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm done with you. I'm moving on. Block them from your phone. Get them out of your life. You may have to do that. But if possible, if you can walk in peace with people, you need to walk in peace. And this is why I want you to be back here next week because I'm going to talk about unforgiveness next week and how you walk in forgiving people the way God's called us to forgive. And this is an important part of this. Look at the next thing. It says that he sent her away with their son. He ended it intentionally. He ended it intentionally. I'm just kind of working some things out. And I feel like I need a break from you right now. So it's not you. It's, it's really, it's me. And like God and Abe got to work some things out. But the, so I want to take a pause. No, he doesn't say that. He ends it. He sends her packing. And some of you, you need to get, quit the vagueness. It needs to be clear. This is over. It's got to end. I need to move on. And what's the fourth thing? He ended it trusting God. He trusts the promise of God. He believed what God said. He believed that God was going to take care of her, that God was going to take care of him, that God was going to take care of his promise. He believed that. He's seen the faithfulness of God, so he puts his trust in that. He says, God, I, he recognizes God. They were yours before they were mine. They were yours while they were mine, and they'll be yours after they're mine. And for some of you, you need to realize that with some of the relationships in your life. I'm, I'm going to trust, I'm I'm trust God with this relationship. That it's time for that to end. That I'm not the Savior. And I'm going to be a helper. And how I'm going to help you is I'm going to let you go. And it's in that place that people can encounter God and find the freedom that they maybe need to experience. Look at what happens next. Genesis 21 verse 15. When the water was gone, this is Hagar. She's in the wilderness. They're out of water. She left the youth, this is Ishmael, in the shade of a bush and went off and sat down a hundred yards or so away. I don't want to watch him die, she said. And she burst into tears, sobbing wildly. She is at her low point, like she has hit rock bottom. Look at what happens. It's in that moment that God shows up. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from the sky. Hagar, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. For God has heard the lad's cries and he, as he is lying there. Go and get him and comfort him. For I will make, here's a promise. God gives her a promise. For I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God, look at this. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well. And she refilled the canteen and gave the lad a drink. And God blessed the boy and he grew up in the wilderness of Paran and became an expert archer. And his mother arranged a marriage for him and the girl in Egypt. Listen, God doesn't need you to be the savior. God needs you to be a helper. And sometimes being a helper means you, you release people into the hands of God so that they can get to the place where God can show up. Before this, who was, who was Hagar's savior? Abraham. But now when he releases her from being her savior, she can now experience the real savior. She can get to a place. And what happens? She sees something she's never seen before. Her eyes are open and she sees a well that was there all along. And some of you have relationships with people and you're looking at them sometime and going, how are you not seeing this? Like you, there's this, I mean, it's so clear to you, but they can't see it. And listen, they're not going to see it unless God reveals it to them. They're blind. Sin blinds you. Darkness is, is hard to see in. And there's people in your life and they need you to step back so that they can get to a place where God can show up in their life, reveal what they need to see so that they can experience what God has for them. And they can step into the promised blessed life that God has for them. Listen to me, church. I'm not saying today to go blow up every relationship you have in your life. I was thinking about this today, this morning. 
This is one of those, this is one of those messages that like when I was in high school and I would have been like sitting by Sarah and I'm hearing this, and I'm just going, oh God, please let this not be ministering to her right now. <laughs> so like, I'm not, I'm not trying, here's what I'm saying to you. Would you be willing to allow God into your relationships to speak the truth to you and help you if there's some relationships that are hurting you, keeping you from what God has for you? And then would you be willing to obey God if he tells you to step away from those? One last verse, Hebrews 12 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us throw off everything. Everybody say everything. Everything, including relational liabilities, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We believe God has a plan for our lives. He's got a race for your life, a race he's called you to run and he's called you to win. And yet sometimes we, we allow people to jump on our back and we're trying to run this race carrying these weights and we're trying to run these weights and we got sin that we're entangled in. It's keeping us from what God has for us. Here's what we're saying. God, is there anything that's holding me back from what you have for me? I want to run this race to win. I know you call me to something great and I want to do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today in this message? I'm guessing for some of you, you've seen faces, you've seen names, you've, you're, you're thinking of people in your life that you recognize as being relationships that are taking from you, they're liabilities, they're hurting you. And if God is saying to you today to let that go or to release that, I'm going to ask you to trust him enough to do that. Trust him enough that you believe he can take care of you and he can take care of them and bless them. Here's what I know about God that maybe you do too. I hope you've seen this. God never asks you to give up something that he doesn't give you something greater in return. If God ever asks you to lay something down, it's because he always resurrects something new for you. And I believe this. This morning as I was praying, I felt like God told me this to tell some of you today. There's some of you and you're holding on to some relationships. I want you to hear this. You're holding on to some relationships. And the fact that you're holding on to that relationship is keeping you from the real relationship God wants you to have. Let it go. Let it go so you can grab on to what God has for you. God has relationships he's ordained you to walk in that will bring life and freedom and healing. It'll be the best relationships of your life. But as long as you hold on to this illegitimate relationship, it's going to continue to produce illegitimate things in your life. Let it go. Lord, thank you for this word today. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. We ask that you continue to speak to us today and over this week about the relationship of our life. Lord, we want to, we want to run this race to win. We know you have good plans for us, God, and we don't want anything keeping us from what it is that you have for us, God. Give us wisdom. Like we sang this morning, give us wisdom to see things like you do. Have an understanding of the eyes, of our light, our, the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened that we would know what it is you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.